Today on the show, a new Italian venerable might just be close to your age, honoring Mary in the home, the vocation of spiritual motherhood, our picks of the week, and so much more. The Catholic Underground Quarantine Edition starts right now. It is time for the Catholic Underground, the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 425. I am Father Chris Decker. Joining us this week, as we always do, we've got Kathleen Lee. She is uh, the Magistra Maxima and, uh, well, it's a teacher at Our Lady of Mercy School in Baton Rouge. Hey, Kathleen. Grazie. (laughs) Also, we've got (laughs) Olivia Galino. She's a student of life. She is our resident Italian food critic, and she joins us, as she always does, from her undisclosed location. Hey, Olivia. It's true. Hello. That's right. It's it's kind of a loft, isn't it, uh, to be honest? Presently, it is. Yeah. I like to, sh- to shake it up so no one quite quite knows where I'm coming from. Oh, that's mm. true, right? Yeah, you got to keep it moving. That's that's a mm-hmm. that's like a quarantine on the move. You really are living Exodus, aren't you? Amen. L'chaim, <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, on uh, on Wednesday, Pope Francis advanced the sainthood causes of five men and women, including an Italian teenager who died of a brain tumor in 2009, declaring all of them venerable. And as you know, Kathleen and Olivia, venerable is the title that is given um, at uh, at the kind of the next step in uh, on the way to sainthood, right? So you have yeah. servant of God, then venerable, then blessed, and then saint. Um, and those are the little steps of canonization. Mm-hmm. So, in addition, uh, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about this Italian teenager in just a second. But in addition, the Pope approved the heroic virtue of Italian priest Francesco Caruso, Carmelo de Palma, as well as the Spanish redemptorist priest Francisco Montague. He has a very long middle name that I can't pronounce. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but in fact, that very same. Uh, let's see if I can do it. Let's see, Barre Chegurin Montague, uh, who was a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, before he became a priest, he was married and later widowed and had a daughter, Maria de la Concepcion Barrechegurin Garcia, who was also declared venerable by the Pope on May 6th. So there's like this whole family here we go, right? That's that's really well neat done. to see that, yeah? Uh, the fifth sainthood cause to move a step forward for canonization was that of Italian teenager Matteo Farina, who lived from 1990 to 2009. Did we say last, year, last week, uh, Kathleen, when you were born? Uh, when I was born? Yeah, when you were, when you were born. <laughs> I was born in 1986. 1986. That's right. We're we're yeah. close. We're proximate in age. And yeah, yet it's, I'm, I'm older. It's true. And yet it's it's really quite something to think that uh, that there's a young man who is on his way to sainthood that was born within, um, well, sure. in my case, within a year of me and within mm-hmm. five years of you. Uh, yeah. Olivia, you're, you're older than Kathleen? I'm a, no, I'm younger. I'm... I'm 92, baby. Oh, 1992. Well, then you're closer in age to uh, to Matteo Farina. Mm-hmm. How interesting to to think like somebody that's your age, right, is is on oh, his yeah. way to sainthood. Uh, Farina yeah. grew up in a strong Christian family in the southern Italian town of Brindisi. So, for those of you following along on the um, on the Roman calendar, you might think of Saint Lawrence of Brindisi, and um, and and so Matteo was very close to his sister Erica. And the parish where, where Matteo received his sacraments, like we all have a parish church, well, Matteo did as well, and he was under the care of the Capuchin friars, and it was with them that he gained a great devotion to St. Francis and St. Padre Pio. And mm-hmm. as well you know, when you get, uh, when St. Padre Pio and St. Francis get their, their saintly hooks in you, they, mm-hmm. they, they draw you in, you know? 
Uh, the postulator for Farina's case uh, said that from a young age, Matteo had the desire to learn new things. So, like, imagine Olivia being friends with this guy. Well, we all know that, that you would want to be in Italy anyway if you had your choice, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Kathleen would want to be too. So, I mean, it's not like... See. <laughs> and I was saying before the show started how I want to be in Italy as well. But so, so Matteo um, always liked to learn new things. And whenever he did, he gave himself 100% to it. So it was, if it was school and academics or sports, or he had a passion for music as well. But there was really something about uh, Matteo that he started to take very seriously from when he was eight years old. So typically seven years old, I think you receive your first Holy Communion. Is that right? I think that's right. Thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. yeah. So presumably when he was preparing for, for, uh, to receive uh, first Eucharist, he developed this love for the sacrament of reconciliation. And so he would receive, he would go to confession often. Mm-hmm. Um, he was devoted also to the word of God at nine years old. I can't even say I did this at nine. Uh, in fact, I can say I did not do this at nine. At nine years old, yeah. he read the entire gospel of St. Matthew as a Lenten practice. Yeah. And from a very young age, he prayed the rosary every day. Wow. Isn't that something? I mean, Mm-hmm. I remember saying the rosary as as a, a seven or eight year old, but sure. I don't remember being devoted, you know, in, yeah. in, in that sense. So, well, wait. what's so crazy about this is like you hear that from kids who were like, you know, alive in like the three hundreds, the four hundreds, you know, right? Yeah. Um, you don't hear about that that kind of devotion coming from a young age from someone who lived in in the you know the twenty first century. Well, that's very true, yeah. And of course, I mean, that's that's where you can see like he's on his way to sainthood because from a very young age, he responded to the call to the graces that were given too, you know. Uh, and it, it's worth saying that we can all do that. You know, it's 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 not uh, foreign to any of us to respond to grace. But but there are those uh, like Matteo who um, from a very young age, the Lord kind of, um, sh- should we say, advances along the way of the, of the spiritual ladder. Because, as we'll learn, um, he had something important for him to do. Um, when he was nine years old, he had a dream in which he heard St. Padre Pio tell him that uh, if he understood that he who is without sin is happy. Um, let's see here. Let me, let me just double check. There we go. We lost Olivia for just a second. Sorry. He had a, he had a dream uh, in which St. Uh, Padre Pio said, he who is without sin is happy. And he must help others to understand this so that we can all go together happy into the kingdom of heaven. And, mm-hmm. uh, and from that point onward, uh, Matteo felt a strong desire to evangelize. So when he was nine years old, he had a dream in which Padre Pio says, he who is without sin is happy. So we mm-hmm. kind of connect that to his, uh, his devotion to the sacrament of reconciliation. And so he, began, he became kind of an evangelist at the age of nine um, and uh, the the uh, acts for his uh, uh, next step in sainthood or towards sainthood says, which he did politely and without presumption. He once wrote about his desire saying, quote, I hope to succeed in my mission to infiltrate among young people, speaking to them about God, illuminated by God himself. Isn't that something that somebody, wow. that, that a young man <laughs> knows that to be a Christian in the world today, we have to infiltrate the culture in, yeah. in, a, in a good way, in the best sense of the word, saying that I'm a Christian mm-hmm. and that's yeah. who I am and that's part of who I am, you know? Yeah, and I love that it says, you know, he did it politely and without presumption. Because mm-hmm. right. a lot of times, especially young people, yeah. uh, you know, when they when they are on fire for something, 
it's like they're they're lit up and there's no control. Yeah. You know, they go like like Hulk smashing through. They're like, yeah, <laughs> right. Jesus, you know, and it's like, whoa. Yeah. You know, um, but he did it. He understood that to infiltrate, he's got to be like like a kind of like a ninja. Yeah. You know, he's, he's got to kind of kind of get into these places without, you know, pulling a Hulk on people and being right. like, I know something so good and I want you to know it too without shoving it down your throat, you know? That's right. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's really what we're all called to do uh, to evangelize simply by living our lives in a holy manner where people look at us and they go, there's something about that's There's something different about you. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and that's exactly what Matteo tried to do. He said, I observe those around me uh, to enter among them as silent as a virus and infect them with an incurable disease, love. Uh, that's, yes, that's indeed. That's very telling in, uh, in our quarantine edition here. And that's exactly what Matteo, he, he understands that, that love, love is, is, a, is a kind of an infection, right? And it is yeah, the best kind yeah. of infection because it renews us. It spreads through us and it spreads beyond us and renews us. Yeah. Um, and a <laughs> month before his 13th birthday, uh, in September of 2003, Matteo began to have symptoms of what would later be diagnosed as a brain tumor. Um, as he was undergoing his medical tests, he began to keep a journal, and he called the experience of the bad headaches and pain, quote, one of those adventures that change your life and that of others. It helps you to be stronger and to grow, above all, in faith, unquote. Mm. Um, and over the next six years, he would experience several brain operations. He would undergo uh, chemotherapy under treat and, and treatments for his tumor. And mm. one thing that happened was his love for Mary strengthened. He consecrated himself to her immaculate heart. And, um, and, and so to, to realize that it's in the crucible of, of this um, debilitating disease, right, of illness, of having a brain tumor, yeah. that he recognized in his journal that it's a life-changing adventure. And I think sometimes we we can forget so easily that when we undergo the cross, it's really, it, it's an adventure. It's called to be an adventure. Yeah. Um, yeah. that, I mean, the very word adventure, right? To, to go, to, to move towards, to venture towards something mm -hmm. rather than to flee in an adventure. Yeah. If you think about an adventure, it's always like a, a going in, like going yeah. further and deeper in. And, and that's yeah. exactly what he did. Every time I, every time I call my dad and, you know, tears are shed and things aren't going well. And he goes, Kathleen, think of it as an adventure. <laughs> and so that's a really cool idea to think of like, you know, mm -hmm. your faith life as that adventure you can you, nobody watches an adventure where all you do is sit on the couch all day like yeah. that's not fun yeah. most adventures you know that you watch a movie on or you know is is this journey and there are good times and there are bad times but you know that that suffering is part of the adventure that's part right of the journey. and and uh, it's hard to have virtual adventures in that way you know i think we yeah. uh, especially nowadays we're, we're you know doing all these things virtually and there is an adventure to sitting at home i suppose to some degree but uh but but practicing our faith living our faith carrying the cross daily what Jesus mm -hmm. uh, wants us to do to be his disciples is to set off on an adventure. I think uh, mm -hmm. J.R.R. Tolkien probably does that the best, right? In the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm -hmm. is, um, how, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, it's a dangerous thing um, setting out uh, the front door of your home, you know? And that's, that's, yeah. exactly, uh, that's exactly what we, what we do. Um, so in between hospitalizations, Matteo continued to live the ordinary life of a teenager. He went to school. He hung out with his friends. He formed a band. And of yeah, course, he fell in love with a girl. 
you know, because so he was he was 15, right? Um, yeah. He later called the chaste relationship that he had with Serena, ah, sounds like a beautiful young lady, uh, during the last two years of his life, the most beautiful gift that the Lord could give him. Um, he reflected mm-hmm. on friendship at 15, saying, quote, I would like to be able to integrate with my peers without being forced to imitate them in mistakes. I would like to feel more involved in the group without having to renounce my Christian principles. It's difficult, difficult, but not impossible, unquote. This is mm-hmm. wise. This is a wise yeah, young yeah. man. 15. Yeah, 15. Uh, eventually, Mateo's condition worsened, and after a third surgery, he became paralyzed in his left arm and in his leg. But he would often repeat that, quote, we must live every day as if it were the last, but not in the sadness of death, but rather in the joy of being ready to meet the Lord. Gosh, I want Mateo's wow. faith. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, right? fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he died surrounded by his friends and family on April 24, 2009. And uh, Francesca Consolini, who is the um, postulator, which is the person who brings the case of a person forward for consideration mm-hmm. um, to the, uh, the Congregation for Saints in Rome, uh, wrote on a website dedicated to uh, to Matteo that in him emerged a deep inner commitment oriented towards purifying his heart from every sin. And he experienced this spirituality, quote, not with heaviness, effort, or pessimism. Indeed, from his words, there emerges constant trust in God, a tenacious, determined, and serene gaze turned towards the future, unquote. Man. Uh, wow. Yeah, he was tenacious, right? To be tenacious in our faith. Just, again, it, seeing it as an adventure. Uh, Farina mm-hmm. often uh, thought about the faith and the difficulty of going against the current. So, uh, Matteo knew he was going against the current and that it was difficult. Um, concerned about a lack of good faith education for young people, he undertook this task among his own peers. He once wrote in his journal, quote, when you feel that you can't do it, when the world falls on you, when every choice is a critical decision, when every action is a failure, and you would like to throw everything away, when intense work reduces you and your whole being, reflect on God's love for you and for others. I mean, mm. how, how beautiful, how beautiful is that? So, um, so at this point, uh, uh, you know, blessed Mateo, or all, not quite blessed, venerable Mateo, um, mm. we ask that you would pray for us, especially as we are making our way through this adventure of life yeah. uh, right now. And how many Absolutely. young people, uh, how many young people do you know that, uh, that could use his intercession, you know? Oh my God. Every one yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. It's not just his faith. That's tenacious. Um, like she was quoting from his journal, but also his joy. Like you sense his joy in every situation that he seems to meet. Um, and like echoing, like, I don't know, like he would have been, alive most of his life in John Paul II's uh, pontificate. And yep. so you really hear John Paul saying like life with Christ is a wonderful adventure. Mm-hmm. And like this, like he lived it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he, he must've been listening to the, the teaching uh, of John Paul II at this point too. Um, who, yeah. who was like saying, put out into the deep, be not afraid. Young people of the world come to Christ, yeah. you know, throw yeah. open wide the doors to Christ. And, uh, and, and these, the saints of this generation, I think, are the ones who are going to be praying for uh, our present generations, our younger generations, yeah. who, who maybe haven't had some of those, uh, those folks in their lives, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Venerable Matteo Farina, please intercede for us and for our culture oriented towards death. Help us to see faith and life as an adventure and to look towards the Lord. All right, it is that time of the program where we just simply remind you who we are and what we do. We are the Catholic Underground. 
You are listening to the Catholic Underground. We are online all the time at catholicunderground.tv. I am Father Chris. We're joined by Kathleen Lee, also by Olivia Galino, and uh, and of course all of the gang are more or less uh, on um, uh, just on standby. Basically, we we, put, <laughs> we we plug Jeff into the wall, and we kind yep. of push him into his little cubicle, and we set the uh, the suspended animation timer. And yep. so hopefully within a week or so, we'll be ready to, to pull him out of the deep freeze. And, um, and Ed, we don't really know where Ed goes. We think that he just phases into a different dimension. I'm not mm. really sure, as a matter of fact. Anyway, uh, our picture. He week, just sinks into the ball pit. He I does. say, just, the ball pit is just a, a, his own dimension. That's yep. true. In it space is a different and dimension, time. yeah, where the video cave lives, a slash ball pit. <laughs> our picks of the week are coming up in just a little while. But first, we thought that we would let Kathleen introduce you yet again to to Mary, but Mary specifically in the home, right, Kathleen? Absolutely, yes. And as, as we heard in our last segment, many, many of our saints have a great devotion to Our Lady. And that's something that, you know, has been super important in my life as a Catholic, in the lives of Catholics, is how we honor, right, how we honor Mary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the, always the discussion of, you know, we don't worship Mary, right, right but that we honor her. And it's because... Christ himself honored Mary, right? One of his last, one of his last, you know, phrases on earth is he's on, he's dying on the cross and he looks down and there is Mary, his mother and John, uh, the beloved disciple. And he says to Mary, woman, here is your son. Mm -hmm. And then he, he said to John, here is your mother. And these are some of the last words that that Jesus spoke. So they're kind of important. Yeah, right? He's right. yeah. a lot of words, and they're all very important. But we see Mary from the beginning of the gospel you know, to the end, and that's important. It's yep. not like they said, oh, and Jesus was born and then did his thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's present there. And so you know, in the most excruciating moment of his life, he looked down from the cross and saw the two people whom he loved the most, right? His mother and the beloved disciple, John, right? And as their presence, their, them just being there was consolation for him, um, he took the time to, to, um, to take care of them and bring them together as mother and son. And so it says that, you know, tradition says that Mary lived the remainder of her life with John in a home in Ephesus, right? And that's it's on my list of places I want to go. I right? really, really, really want to go to uh, to Ephesus as well. Yeah, yeah. one of these days. Yeah, yeah. Got an underground pilgrimage. Yeah, hey, I'd be all about also- that. Footsteps of Paul. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we also know that Mary, like it, Jesus, didn't die, and Mary just went, "Okay, I'm done. Bye. See ya." Right? No, she, she doubled down. Do what? She said she doubled down. She she, she got did. involved with the early church. She became the mom right. of the early church. She did, right? And she's up in the upper room with all these scared little boys who are like, <laughs> I often like, get that on, sense. Guys. Yeah, like they're all scared. And Mary's like, just you wait. Just you wait. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but actually, Pope Emeritus Benedictus Sixteen. I think that's the correct way to say it. But I, I anyways. So. That's the right translation. Um, he talks about how... Um, the Greek text of, of the Bible passage where he, you know, woman, here's your son, mm-hmm. is a far deeper far, and far richer. We could translate it, he took Mary into his inner life, yeah. into his inner being, mm-hmm. into the depths of his being, mm-hmm. right? And so... Um, right, he made a spiritual not, home for not her. Not just take care of my mom, right? Yeah. But she's going to be 
not only your mom, John, but all those all those guys who aren't here right now, she's going to be their mom. All those that come after you for eons, she's going to be their mama too, right? And so actually St. John Vianney wrote, quote, Jesus Christ, after having given us all he could give, that is to say the merit of his toils, his sufferings, and bitter death, after giving us his adorable body and blood to be food for our souls, willed also to give us the most precious thing he had left, which was his holy mother. So after he'd given all that he physically could on the cross, he gave to the church the only thing he had left, right? And the, the thing that was most precious to him was his mother, mm-hmm. right? And so how do we cultivate a relationship with Mary? We all know that May is, um, May is her month. Yep. This is the month of Mary. And so, um, you know, how do we honor her in our homes? And that's a great way. We're all at home right now. We're all making spaces to study. We're all making spaces to work. Um, we should also be making spaces to pray and to, to um, you know, especially in this month, to honor Our Lady. That's and so right. there are a few ways that we can do that in our home. Um, and some of you may already be doing this, but if you're not, these are, they're not huge. You don't have to, you know, go to Hobby Lobby and buy out the store. <laughs> just, although. You know, although you could, right? Um, you know, these are some things that you can simply do. One is to pray, yep. right? We, we all associate one of our most precious and, and most basic prayers uh, to Mary, which is the, the Hail Mary, right? And we also... Uh, you know, have the beautiful gift of the rosary. And when we pray the rosary, right, we imitate on the life of Jesus, which is really interesting to explain to people that like we're praying for Mary to intercede with us as we meditate with her yeah. on the life of her son. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a beautiful and powerful uh, devotion. One that I know I've said many times that I wanted to make a part of my normal prayer life. Uh, mm-hmm. This has given this, this, you know, quarantine has definitely given me that, that gift. Um, and the rosary, for those of you who were like me, it was very intimidating. I thought I'm gonna have to devote like an hour to the rosary and I'm gonna have to memorize it. No, you don't. There are so many things out there that can help you, you know, guides. You can, I still pull out my guide every time I lead the rosary uh, because I can't for the life of me memorize. And I know I'm going to mess them up. So I'd rather get it right. Um, you know, memorize the, the, um, mysteries, the mysteries, Another thing that I like that I have is uh, it's called the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Oh yeah, and it's just like it's morning prayer and, and evening prayer for every day of the of the week, and it's wow. super short, super easy. There are a million and one prayer books out there that yep. are dedicated to Our Lady, um, but she invites us to to enter into that prayer with her. Um, the second thing is um, to ponder. Right. Mary pondered a lot of things. Mary kept a lot of things in her heart. Um, and she teaches me about that, you know, just to be like, hey, don't be quick to, to, you know, to respond. Take it into your heart and ponder. Sit with it. And so what does that look like? If you've ever done Lexio Divina, right, um, it's, it's, you know, meditating on some scripture. And Mary's not, you know, she is, she is present in the scriptures. Um, but it, there's not a... It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever she appears, she doesn't give these long lectures. But um, so, if you if you're not familiar with Lexio, right? You can uh, what you do is you sit down with a verse. Um, you consider what it means to you. You read it over and over again, um, and you can ask yourself some questions. What can you learn from Mary? How can you emulate her words and actions in your own life? Mm-hmm. Some things that you can, you know, some places that you can um, look look to for, to Mary in the scriptures: the Annunciation, the Visitation, the Nativity, the Presentation, the Losing and the Finding of Jesus in the Temple, right? The Wedding at Cana, 
the crucifixion and of course uh, her role in the early church. Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting that most of these took place like in a home or in the context of the family, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. One of the, um, another thing you can do uh, is to read. Read about Mary. There are some excellent, excellent books about Mary out there written by some very awesome scholars of the church. One of my favorites, and I'm going to tell you, um, I've never, ever read a book over and over again like I have this. It's uh, Scott Hahn's Hail, Holy Queen. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. If you want to know more about Mary and not just pray with her, yeah. but know more about her, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And so, um, Father Chris, you said this is one of your favorites. Olivia, do yep. you have any? Um, um, I'm trying to think. There is a name of a book that I just can't think of right now, um, but it's kind of like Hail, Holy Queens, like yeah. it's kind of speculatively looking at, at Mary and what we know about her doctrinally. But if I can think of it, I'll sure, yeah. we'll put it in the show notes. Dr. Brant Petrie also has um, one, a new one, right? I think it's called oh, yeah. Jewish Roots of Mary. Yes. Um, yeah, on highly list. recommend that one too. Certainly on my list of things. Um, so there are also many, many children's books. One of them that suggested in this article is Take It to the Queen, A Tale of Hope by Josephine Nobiso. Um, mm. You know, and there, there are several, several children's books. Get your children, if you have children, get them to love Mary. Yeah early on it's easy it's easy for them to love this beautiful mother that we have um and so if you can have if you can develop and foster that love for mary early yeah. excellent um another thing you could do is decorate yes this is the month <laughs> of of our lady i love this um if you have you can start by getting like a, a beautiful statue like if you're watching this is uh one that i have there are beautiful beautiful statues beautiful beautiful images of our of our lady and these are things that you can keep up in your home all year long or you can decorate for the month of mary may or october which is the month of the rosary mm -hmm. um you can create a small marian shrine on a mantle or a bookshelf um, it can include a, a holy card, a rosary, some candles, a statue. Um, have your kids, you know, make make flowers, yep. make little bouquets for Mary. I made a um, crown this morning out of little uh, my little jasmine uh, vines. Mm, yes, absolutely. Decorate, you know, do the May crowning, and that's you know one of our last things to celebrate. There are a lot of feast days out there, um, and find a few that are meaningful to you. You can, um, you know, do things like. With, if you have kids, have decorate cupcakes for her birthday in September oh, yeah. or uh, enjoy a Mexican dinner on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Or if you don't want to, you know, have food involved, you can absolutely make uh, a consecration to Jesus through Mary. Right? It's a 33-day process, and I would suggest um, 33 days to morning glory, right? Um, mm -hmm. A consecration by Father Michael Gately. Yep. Um, or you can, have your, you can create anything you want you know, to honor Mary, such as a prayer shawl, uh, you know, a painting, a hand-lettered quote, um, put it in your home's decor so that it's, it's part of your everyday. I have something over my front door that says totus to us or, mm -hmm. you know, Pope, um, Pope J John Paul II's totally yours, his papal motto. Uh, cool. So Mary names, whatever it is. Yeah. Celebrate our lady in your home this month for sure. That's right. We're going to take a little bit of a break, so stay right where you are. The Catholic Underground comes back right after this. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, 
and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Welcome back to the Catholic Underground. You have found us. I am Father Chris Decker, joined alongside of me in these boxing, uh, Olivia Galino and Kathleen Lee. If you're listening to us on the podcast, well, then you're lucky. You don't have to look at us in boxes. Our picks of the week are coming up first, but uh, we thought that we'd kind of dive a little bit deeper into this Marian theme, of course, since this is, uh, I guess, all the first one of the first programs of May for the Catholic Underground. And, uh, and set Olivia loose on the vocation of Ugh. spiritual motherhood. Because we talked actually last week about St. Joseph and about uh, kind mm-hmm. of the crisis of spiritual fatherhood and manhood. And so now it may, it's very fitting for us to talk about Mary and her motherhood. Exactly. And, you know, the, uh, on the day that we're recording this, is Mother's Day here in the United mm-hmm. States. And so it's kind of a topic that's been on our mind all day, mothers and, and all the people who have been mothers to us. Um, and in the church, you know, this this phrase, spiritual motherhood, it might not be as unfamiliar um, because in the church, the past several years, especially um, since like the late 1980s, when John Paul II was really focusing on Mary, um, there's been this greater recognition in the church of the, this vocation almost of spiritual motherhood. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a vocation, like all vocations, that should be formed in love and the desire to give love and to, to spread love to everyone that you meet, right? That's what St. Therese of Lisieux said. It's like our vocation is to love, right? Mm-hmm. The particular yeah. instantiations of that vocation is going to look different depending on how God wants you to live that out. But at, at its core, everyone's vocation is to love. Yep. Um, and so women of every age and in every state of life, whether you're single, you're married, you're widowed, you're in religious life, women of every age can be and should be, I'll say, spiritual mothers. Yeah. Right? It's, it's kind of built in, right? It's part of the feminine genius. Exactly. And it's it's not just built in, like some people want to like focus on like, well, yeah, like a woman is able to like receive a child and like bear a child in her womb. And like, yeah, that's very much a part of motherhood. But right. spiritual motherhood is recognizing that capacity for receptivity mm-hmm. that happens on this spiritual level yeah. or this emotional level. In a this, sense, you know, in a sense, the biology uh, of, of of woman uh, is is kind of sacramental in that sense, right? It's a physical manifestation oh, yeah. of a much deeper reality that is present in the soul of woman that is that is present, mm-hmm. unlike it is in in the soul of man. Can I say exactly. that? Exactly. I exactly. think I can say that. That's theologically correct. Well. Yeah, and I mean, Edith Stein would agree with you, um, who, and I agree with her. Um, <laughs> she's kind of famous for saying that um, a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter oh, in which yeah. other souls may unfold. And she, she really does, she has a, a series of essays called Essays on Women, um, where she kind of devotes time to this topic. Like, is there a difference between a man's soul and a woman's soul? What would those differences be? And then she starts to kind of opine about like, okay, well, what, what makes a woman's soul distinct? And that's what she says is distinct. It's this capacity for shelter, this capacity for refuge. Hmm. Um, yeah. And it's beautiful to think about too, because of, of how her life unfolded. And, and how so many mm. dignities were taken away from her, and yet she still realized that the one thing that she could do is be a shelter for the Sacred Heart. Oh, yeah. She could be a shelter for her relationship with the Lord. Exactly. And that's where that kind of spiritual 
fecundity or, or procreation comes from is your closeness with the Lord, right? Think about yeah. how Jesus is born in the womb of Mary. It's because of her, the, the grace that lives within her, her relationship with the Holy Spirit as spouse, and her yes to the Holy Spirit's activity yeah. in her. So the closer that we are to God as women, the, the more intimate that union um, the more time we spend, like Kathleen was saying, in prayer, in spiritual reading, in, you know, participating in the sacraments when they're available again. <laughs> like, yeah. the, the more that we do those things, the more that we foster that relationship and we allow God to, um, as Pope St. Paul VI said at the end of Vatican II, he said that um, women should be impregnated with the spirit of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what happens, right? And, and I know that I'm using, like, very, maybe, like, uh, kind of language, but, like, on a spiritual level, that's what happens, right? right. That's where someone, if you want to give life yeah. as, as a spiritual mother or um, as a spiritual father, then you have to, to be close to the author of all life, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that requires intimacy. Do you, do you think that sometimes this, uh, um, I, I, I don't really know how to, to say it um, <laughs> in a, um, I don't know, but do you think that this kind of has a lot to do with, with the way that, that uh, perhaps some women are, are so bent, if you will, so determined to have biological children that they'll even go to kind of anti-life procedures to have this done, right? To kind of the two wrongs make a right kind of thing, because there, there is, uh, they recognize that there is a, recept a receptivity that's, that's part of who they are and mm -hmm. a, a desire to generate new life, but that there is a depth to how that new life is generated that isn't just simply biological. And so missing right. that, that bit, that, that, that crucial piece, there's a drive like at any cost, I want to have a child. And yet right. this, this may not be the way that you will best glorify the way that the Lord has for, for the cross uh, that, that he wishes for you to embrace. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a matter of, of realizing, and, you know, I say this with utmost sensitivity yes. to people who experience infertility, like Absolutely. such a cross. Absolutely, but it is, yes. I think it's a matter of, of, you know, thinking about, So I don't know, sometimes people can talk about spiritual maternity and spiritual motherhood as like a consolation prize. Oh, but it's right? not. Like, well, if mm, nothing else, yeah. you're still a spiritual mother. and. No, like with all due respect, yeah. no, like, I, I mean, and even think in your own life, like people who have been spiritual mothers to you, I've been thinking about that a lot today since it's yeah. Mother's Day. And yeah. I've been thinking about all the women who've been mothers to me that mm -hmm. are not my biological mother. For, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, my biological mother, 100%. Thanks, mama. True. But like also all the women who have mothered me yeah. in very intentional and very beautiful ways and how they have made me more of a woman right. by teaching mm -hmm. me what that is. Um, it's a so real it's motherhood. Very, it's a very real motherhood. And it's not, and it's not a consolation prize. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like a, a, a facsimile relationship. It's it, there's a, a real spiritual depth to it. Yeah. And think about it like this, like, we are biological creatures. I have matter. I have stuff to me. Yeah. But I am the stuff of God's love. And God is is also spirit, right? Yes. I, I'm made in the image of God. The, the material of my body is a gift, right? But I'm made in God's image and God is spirit. And so I am mm. a, a body and a soul. And yeah. so to be a mother on just the biological plane, in one sense, isn't enough, right? I have to be this spiritual mother as well, mm -hmm. um, this emotional mother, this psychological mother, all these these, these kind of separate distinctions, um, mm -hmm. because I am body and soul, yeah. right? Um, and so St. Edith Stein 
who um, is also maybe more properly known uh, by her religious name, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, because that's the name that she had when she died. Um, but she, she describes what we're talking about, and I'm going to read it um, a little bit. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's so worth it. So she says that the intrinsic value of woman consists essentially in exceptional receptivity for God's work in the soul, right? So she's just talking specifically on the level of the soul. Women, not even just in the body, women have a this particular and exceptional receptivity, the ability to receive God's work in the soul. And she says, for an understanding of our unique feminine nature, let us look to the pure love and spiritual maternity of Mary, Right. Again, Mary as a, a model of femininity and of what that's like to receive God's um, God's love for us. Yeah. She says this, this spiritual maternity is the core of a woman's soul. Mm. It's not something like in the corner. It's the core. Mm. Wherever a woman functions authentically in this spirit of maternal pure love, Mary collaborates with her. This holds true whether the woman is married or single, professional or domestic or both, a religious in the world or in the convent. Through this love, a woman is God's special weapon in his fight against evil. Huh. Yes. Her intrinsic value is that she is able to do so because she has a special susceptibility for the works of God in souls, mm -hmm. her own and others. Mm -hmm. She yep. relates to others in his spirit of love. Yeah. Basically, yeah. what she's saying there is that when you function authentically as a, a spiritual mother, Mary is there collaborating with you and being a mother to that person and yeah. to you. Yeah. Right. I can tell and you that's that, true. You, 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 I mean, we'll talk about it in just a second, but as, as a priest and as a seminarian, there are, are women who were mothers to me and who continue to be mothers to me that encourage me on a level that, that no, no man can do like, mm. like, like no father figure in my life can encourage me in the same way that the strong spiritual mothers I have had have done. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's, I yeah. think it's exactly what St. Edith Stein says is that it's because Mary is collaborating here. Sure. And so there's, Oh, I'm going to get into speculative theology here, but there's almost like a, 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 a quasi in persona Mary that's shared whenever, mm. whenever a spiritual motherhood is taking place, because that's, yeah. that's how Mary was, was uh, taken into the life of St. John. And that's how John received Mary was yeah. was as as that very real spiritual mother that helped to guide the soul towards Jesus. Yeah. Oh. I recently had a conversation, you know, I was asked I was asked as a teacher what I what I would how I would respond if a student asked me why women can't be priests. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dang man, like if you focus on what we can't do as yeah. women, you are missing what we can do. Yeah. And what we're called to do. And I talked about that. I spoke about that. I said many, many priests that I know um, you know, will tell you some of their best spiritual advisors are women. Oh man, it's true. Because we have that that <laughs> that role as as a sister, as mother, yep. uh, to to nourish and support. And and if you're thinking like, well, all of this sounds amazing, like kind of like when you hear about saints who have these like you know fantastic lives and journals and everything, you're like, that sounds great, but like, whew, I can't do that. Yes, you can. <laughs> like spiritual yeah. motherhood is a gift. That's that every woman is is meant to to grab onto and live, right? Remember, like through the love of God for you and Mary's collaboration with you. Yep. Remember what Saint Eustein says: a woman is God's special weapon in His fight against evil. Yeah. Which means that you're gonna you're given everything that you need, just in the fact that you're created, you're breathing, and you're existing right now. 
mm-hmm. that's enough, right? Um, and it has to do with the, the way that you receive other people into your own heart. And I remember reading one time, I think I've talked about this book on, on the CU um, as my pick of the week, but it's called Beginning to Pray by... Um, Anthony Bloom. By Anthony Bloom, yeah. And he he has this little like part at the end that's kind of like shoved in there, but it's on intercessory prayer. And basically he doesn't say anything about it except for this experience that a monk had um, where like he was asked, you know, how he prayed for, for other people. And he was also like the kind of foreman at a factory or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what monk. But um, he said that the way that he would pray for his workers, and this would be what he did like most of the day, he would pray for his workers by like imagining himself inside that person's life and being like, well, you know, John's wife is pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, praying with that and then praying for their kids and kind of like going through the motions of their life as if he was that person. Yeah. And so women... I think have a particular way to live out spiritual maternity like that, right? As intercessory prayer, but not just like, well, you know, pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, but really to do that, right? To, to animate, to allow other, other lives to animate ourselves so that we can bring those lives to God. Right. Um, And it begins with care and compassion, right? I'm not generally not going to pray for someone because I don't care about them, but even the way that I pray should demonstrate my capacity, my compassion for them. Right. So, and no matter what it is, whether you're like praying outside an abortion clinic, whether you're visiting someone in a nursing home, you're teaching CCD, you're serving at a soup kitchen, you know, those are all activities of spiritual mothers. Yes. Right. And it, and it comes down to you. I mean, you'll hear about Kathleen can definitely speak to this. Like you'll hear about transformative experiences that people have, especially women in crisis. And sometimes it's like, someone listened to me, someone yeah. smiled at me, someone bought me food, <laughs> you someone know, it's looked, not, yeah, someone looked me in the eyes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's rarely ever going to be like someone bought me a car or someone sure. like, you know, waved a sign or something like it's someone who recognized me as a person and women have this maybe unparalleled ability to do that because mm-hmm. our, our brains are set up to think relationally, um, neurologically, that's where we are psychologically. That's where we are. Yeah. Um, and because we're, that's, that's what's happening on the level of the soul for us too. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, John Paul II, who, like I said, really kind of pioneered the way forward when it comes to this, this idea of the feminine genius and spiritual motherhood, he says in Mulieris Dignitatum that this moral and spiritual strength of a woman is joined to her awareness that God entrusts the human being to her in a special way. And that word, that idea of entrustment is, is huge with John Paul because he, he realizes that like, there's a gift that one woman, it's a, it's a gifted situation that one woman is given to another or one person is given to another. Um, And that, the woman who receives that soul right, as a as a shelter as a refuge um, feels a sense of responsibility for that person, right? They they understand that they have been entrusted with this gift, this precious life, because they can, through the eyes of Mary and through the eyes of God, can see that the dignity of that person, and so that's what kind of like draws us into praying for that person, helping to meet that person's needs, helping to um, to helping that person to be who they're called to be, right? Yeah. That's what entrustment is. That's what spiritual maternity is. Yeah. Um, 
and you know a woman's awareness that people are entrusted to her then leads her to entrust them to God right you know we're never called to be like like a bomb shelter right that's not the kind of shelter we're called to be Um, we need to be this kind of open air shelter where people come to us and then we can let them go people come to us and then we can let them go but we're not letting them go out into the unknown unprepared We're, we're bringing them to God Right. Right. We we're a way station. We're not the final destination. Well, that was always the image that my favorite image of Mary was that she drew people into her. And then like, you know, like there's one of my favorite um, statues of Mary is in St. Matthew's uh, Cathedral in in Washington, D.C. And it's Mary coming out of the the cosmos coming out of the sky and she's reaching down to the people while at the same time with her other hand, she's reaching, reaching up, like, come on, like I'm about to, I'm about to bring you into something so much better and so much greater. It's not a look at me, but you know, come with me. Yeah. 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 And, and that's a really great model for spiritual maternity too, because it's not this, like this attitude of, of superiority, right? It's not like I'm, I know better than you. So you need to listen to me, but it's, you know, I know where you want to go, right? I see the things that, that pain you. I see the things that, um, that weigh on you. And I know that there's a better way. So let me show you that way. Right. But it, it happens in all humility, recognizing that, like, I don't have the answers, but, and I'm not, I'm not asked to have all the answers, but if I know the destination, I can point the way. Right. Um, and yeah. so, all of this is is part of why there's this special kind of vocation of the spiritual motherhood of priests. You know, I think about uh, Sister Philomena Marie, um, formerly Katie Richard, um, yep. who is you know a dear friend of mine and who specifically has this this particular motherhood for priests and and the religious order. That's one of the charisms of the religious order that she um, is is professing her first vows for soon. So just a few her. weeks. That's right. Yeah, in just a few weeks. Um, so pray for her. Um, but the the whole idea of that kind of spiritual motherhood for for priests is is specifically devoting that motherhood right that is intended towards the care of all people and to be that shelter for people and, and devoting it to the sanctification of priests, right. Um, to offer prayer and sacrifices for their holiness because they're fathers. So then their holiness, if a priest is holy, then his congregation will feel the effects of that sanctity, right. right. They will be made holier in turn. Um, yeah, no priest is an island. Like, there's no such thing as a lone wolf priest because we always have to be connected to a bishop, right? That's where yeah. our faculties come from. But there's no lone wolf priest when it comes to being a father as well. We always must have those who are our mothers, you know? Mm-hmm. We always yeah. must have those who are our sister collaborators as well. We, we can't live uh, in a vacuum. And that's a, that's a way for a priest to atrophy is if he has yeah. no experience of the feminine in his life or very little. Yeah. I would yeah. say the same thing of any and, man, actually, <laughs> but, but yeah. priesthood especially. Preach it. Yeah. Well, and, and I've seen that like in Kathleen too, like the, even last week when she was talking about like, you know, talking to priests who are kind of struggling with how to do life in quarantine. And I was just listening to her talking about her conversations with them. And I'm like, that's spiritual motherhood. Yep. Like if you want it on display, it's that right there. It's gentle, but yep. it's firm. And it's still like, I'm going to pray for you, mm-hmm. right? It, it's always underlined with that reality that in, in the end, we, we have tr- our trust placed in the transcendent Lord of the universe. So yeah. all of our problems 
will be like like air to him and we can devote everything to him um and yeah. so it's really this this like this complementarity right this complementarity of men and women that we see played out specifically in the in the intercession of, of priests and religious in the church um, and it's that complementarity that we see between Mary and Jesus, right? Think of the wedding at Cana when Mary says to Jesus, you know, they have no wine, mm-hmm. right? And she, her specific intercession on behalf of the people at that wedding is what calls Jesus to his first act of his first public witness um, mm-hmm. to his divinity, Yeah. right? And she doesn't, you know, force it out of him. She doesn't say like, you have to do this. Or she doesn't cry. She doesn't manipulate him, whatever. She just tells him the problem, he responds back, and she just turns around and says, do whatever he tells you. Yeah, she, right? she, That's intercession. In the same way that Jesus looks at the rich young man, loves him, and says, you know, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Mary looks at her son, loves him, and then says, do whatever he tells you. You know, you get the sense that he learns that, that activity, that kind of activation of ministry from her. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and so like, if you, if you ever maybe doubt like, well, what can I do, you know, like in, in spiritual motherhood, you know, or you maybe have that kind of temptation to think of it as like a consolation prize. Think about that, right? Think about Mary's intercession for these people who were not her children, right? They were maybe family, but they were not her children, her biological children, but she loves them to the point of doing something about it and interceding on behalf of her son. And then, and and what happens is Jesus's first miracle, right? So mm-hmm. miracles can happen through spiritual motherhood and the intercession of spiritual mothers. Um, True. And so I'll just I'll just close with this um, line from John Paul II's letter to women, talking about how women have this vocation to love. So he mm-hmm. says, for in giving themselves to others each day, women fulfill their deepest vocation. Perhaps more than men, women acknowledge the person because they see persons with their hearts. Yep. They see them independently of various ideological or political systems. They see others in their greatness and limitations. They go out, they try to go out to them and to help them. Yeah. Right. That's mm-hmm. what it is to be a woman. It's very simple, right? We see with the heart, we desire to, to love and to help. And so we go out, right? We go out of ourselves to them. And then we, we receive that person um, into ourselves um, so that we can bring them to God. Right. That's it. That's spiritual. That's exactly right. And and that's why uh, the the mother of Jesus always guides the heart of women who who kind of wade into that spiritual motherhood, uh, because Mm. she has that one vocation of leading everyone to uh, to her son. So, yeah, thanks, uh, Olivia and Kathleen, for giving us uh, a little a little time to sit at the feet in the school of Mary. Mm. Uh, So very cool. All right. Well, if you're new to the show, this is now that part of the show that we like to call. CU Pick of the Week. And for our first CU Pick of the Week, let's uh, let's go to, I'm going to do it again, Kathleen, Olivia. Yay! <laughs> What's your Pick of the Week? All right, so my Pick of the Week is actually um, something that maybe I should have done last week in order for the sake of continuity, mm-hmm. but um, it's about St. Joseph. Um, I'm realizing and talking to people, especially because like, I feel like St. Joseph is having his day more and more. Yeah, for sure. Um I, that people maybe want to read about St. Joseph, but they're not sure what to read. Mm-hmm. So um, my pick of the week is a, um, I guess you could call it like a homily, but it's like really long. Um, I'm not sure what exactly it was originally intended uh, as, but it's St. Jose Maria Escriva writing about uh, St. Joseph. Um, and it's called, um, 
It's a, well, it's a, it's a chapter of a book. There you go. So it's a chapter of a book called Christ is Passing By, and it's a chapter called In Joseph's Workshop. Oh. And so it's just him like thinking about the life of Jesus and Joseph together and what Jesus would have learned from Joseph, the kind of virtuous man that Joseph was. But I mean, if you know St. Jose Maria Escriva, you know that he has such a poetic kind of way of looking at the world. Um, and so he really is describing St. Joseph as like this master of the interior life. And so it's it's a spiritual reading and it's really, really well done. Very cool. Yeah. How about you, Kathleen? Your pick of the week. Okay. I was in Walmart, my favorite place of all places, <laughs> like last week. I, they're running together because I make several trips to Walmart because I love it so much. And I was looking for a cookbook, a specific cookbook. Huh. And um, I, this caught my eye. This is Life magazines is an issue on Mary and oh, it's actually it's very big um, a reissue of a classic edition um but it is beautiful there's all kinds of like you know talks about you know um Marian traditions and Marian apparitions and there's beautiful beautiful this is the back of it early so beautiful oh is that Our Lady of Fatima oh wow yes it's, and it's it's just such a great thing it's on um it says display until seven ten, so you have until July. It'll be around. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this is a reissue, so I'm sure that they will reissue the reissue again. Sure, it's beautiful and very very well done. So I would, and I I got I picked this as my pick of the week before I even read our show notes today. So thanks, no. Mama. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Very cool. I guess it's time for my pick of the week. Huh? My pick of the week is, in fact, a cookbook of sorts. Uh, as a kind of birthday gift, I guess, um, um, one of my, my little spiritual brothers, who is more like a brother to me than, gosh, uh, I can even say. I'm talking about Taylor Vignaroli, the Vignarolis in Wyoming, um, who, gosh, I'm now deeply ensconced in the family. I've baptized one of their kids. You know, you know, so, or one of their grandkids. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that Very makes you cool. part of the family. You know, it's yeah. true. Anyway, mm -hmm. so Taylor got me a copy of Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast. Ooh, this is so a good. fantastic book uh, by Ken Forkish, which is a an odd last name, but indeed that's uh, that's his name, and it goes into kind of the science behind the baking of bread as well Ooh. as the different types of bread, the different types yeah. of yeast, all of the, the different mm -hmm. kind of uh, sub-sciences and the art of baking. And, uh, and so I, of Very course, have been, cool. you know, doing a little bit. In fact, I've got, I've got the oven preheating right now because I've got to go do one more fold of a ciabatta uh, yeah. loaf that I'm getting ready to make. So, uh, so my pick of the week, nice. flour, water, salt, yeast by Ken Forkish. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. Um, so that uh, if you want to get into this uh, this this last little bit of baking before we slowly peek ourselves out of the cave, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then yeah, uh, that's that's the thing to go. All right, you can always let us know what your picks of the week are by going to catholicunderground.com and leaving us a little note there in uh, in back chat, or you can always email at backchat at catholicunderground.com. That's the way to do it. And uh, I, I guess I should say, um, you know, as of today, we have an Amazon Fire TV app. So if you're on the Fire TV platform and uh, you'd like to, to watch our live show or look at uh, all of our other offerings, like maybe Father Ryan's COVID catechism, or if you want to watch uh, the Mass that I celebrate uh, on weekday mornings, Monday through Friday, Friday at uh, 830 
Central Time uh, or Sunday 11 a.m. Central Time. Or if you want to join in at 9 p.m. Central Time for our check-in and night prayer, you can do that on uh, on your Amazon Fire TV. At least I think you can. I, I haven't tested it completely yet, but it's all there. Um, and then uh, for those of you, of course, we do have a Roku app and all those things, but Fire TV is a new platform uh, that since I had nothing better to do, I learned how to work, so it worked out fine. Um, yeah, excellent. Yes. So uh, this week, the Catholic Underground is possible because of people just like yourself. Uh, you can join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com/slash/donate. And an important way to support us is to like us, or to heart us, or to star us, and to share us on your social media platform of choice. And if you really like our podcast, you can pop by iTunes or Spotify or wherever you um, consume your podcast, and you can leave us a review and click those stars. That would be very, very helpful as well, or hearts or whatever they are. Uh, yeah. Uh, so our panelist this week uh, is, well, you know Kathleen, right? Kathleen is, uh, is the benefactress. She's at Kaylee626 on Instagram if you want to follow all of her stuff. Thank you, Kathleen, for joining us. Anytime. We've also uh, had Olivia Galino on the air with us. She's at the.real.omg on Instagram and on Twitter as well. Right, Olivia? It's true. No no shaking your head, Kathleen. <laughs> Actually, uh, Olivia, uh, Olivia's uh, tweets are always really interesting to read. So, yeah, yeah I, I'd recommend oh, that on, on well, Twitter. You. You're welcome. Uh, uh, Kathleen, you're not on the Twitter, are you? No, I mean, I am somewhere, but I don't know. Oh, but no. I see. You just don't check your Twitter. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, our technical director is typically Jeff Blackwell at Jeff Blackwellis. Our research assistant and the leader of the crew in the lab is Jim Hayes. Our video and graphics director when we're in the studio is Ed Ball. And you know me. I am Father Chris. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Digital Catholic. And we hope that we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice. We are the Catholic Underground. We're Faith Gone Digital in quarantine. And we'll see you next time.